Hey, guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Might I recommend, now that your young person has walked across that stage, you get them over to Leon Tailoring, get them to their career services division. That's right. In this economy, even though jobs are plentiful, it won't help you if you don't look the part. So at Leon Tailoring Career Services Division, they got the perfect thing that your young man or young lady needs to get them off into the world of work and at very reasonable and affordable prices. And heck, who knows? You might even see something for yourself if you're looking for a new job. So swing on by Leon Tailoring, their career services division, Larry Norm, Kim, and Judy, always glad to help you out. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware in downtown Indianapolis. Amendment number two um, is the amendment that provides that all of the abortions in Section 1 are Level 5 felony and establishes the um, rape or incest timelines. If the pregnant woman is less than 16 years of age, the post-fertilization age of the fetus um, must be less than 12 weeks. If the woman is at least 16 years of age, the post-fertilization age of the fetus must be less than eight weeks. Is there discussion on that amendment? Is there a motion for the amendment? Is there a second? Senator Lannon? You asked for a discussion on the amendment. Go ahead. I had my hand up. So, currently in the bill, as it's written right now, there's not, there are, there are crimes, but not for performing an abortion per se. Is that correct? Uh, there are a number of crimes in the in the in the bill in the statute as 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 it exists today. For example, for partial birth abortions or right. for uh, um, um, dismemberment. dismemberment. Thank you, uh, but uh, but not for the others. This actually the, this would bring it back to uh, to the way the current statute is with regard to performing an unlawful abortion. So this would uh, the the individual who would be at risk here or subject to the penalties or the crime would be the person who performs the abortion, which I presume in most cases would be a physician? That's correct. Is that correct? Yeah. And currently in the bill, I thought there were some immunity provisions for physicians or those performing abortions. How does that relate to that aspect of it? Um, I think you might be, there's an immunity that's unchanged in the feticide statute, but okay. not in the performing an unlawful the abortion. abortion statute. All right. And then I guess the comment I have in regards to when a woman who is raped, the time frames here, um, currently in the bill, there is, it, what, what are the time frames? Because I presume there are no time frames in the bill right. right now. So now we're saying that the woman, if she's over 16, has to have the abortion post-fertilization eight weeks. Is that right? That's correct. Well, it seems to me that that a lot of women. I mean, is that really enough time for a woman to know if they're pregnant? Or, and to make this decision, whether or not to have this abortion. Seems like that's a rush. And, and likewise, certainly with a, a child under the age of 16, we're saying 12 weeks. I mean, it just seems like that's, if, if you're wanting to basically say you can't 
get an abortion if you're raped, this is probably the way to do it, it seems to me, or to really limit it, if that's the intent of this, this amendment. So I cannot support this amendment under any circumstances. Senator Taylor. Uh, I don't know who to ask the question to, because I don't know if anybody's claimed the authorship of this amendment. But um, so why, why eight weeks? Somebody had to come up with a number. Senator Glick. Mr. Chairman, uh, Senator, there was a there was a concern of the vagueness on some of these um, um, requirements. So the open-endedness of the rape and, and incest part of this, people who are find that they are pregnant from a, a criminal act rape or incest, they should be, you know, have the option of getting in the bill, we, we allow them the exception and allow them an abortion. However, there was uh, a demand made that we put time limits on it. They shouldn't go full term and then suddenly decide, oh, no, I don't want to go through with this. The issue is that before the baby reaches viability, that it be terminated. And that's why the, this was offered. So, when does the baby meet, reach viability? Usually 20 weeks. So, you go all the way back to eight weeks. Well, that's the, that was for someone over 16, because by that time they would know. It's still. And it's 12 weeks with it's someone still before under viability, 15 you or do younger. agree. Pardon? It's still before viability. Yes. You do agree with that. Yes. Okay. So. Um, what, why eight? Why not 18? That's the way the, the, I didn't write the amendment. That's what the amendment says. Okay. Why? So, so you didn't do the 12 weeks either. Pardon? You didn't do the 12 weeks either. The 12 weeks is, was a longer period of time for for younger for, people, for younger assuming people. that if, if this is brought to the attention of the authorities, there would be action taken earlier, but some of these are delayed in their, in their, their recognition or at least their, their reporting. Right. Okay. So, Senator Glick, if you remember correctly, during the last legislative session, this body took up legislation to actually extend the time period for which a woman could actually claim rape. Do you remember that? You guys don't remember when, when a woman came forward and the man was 21 or older, but at the time the rape was done at 15 or 17, that they could claim and that person could be charged? Nobody on, well, maybe you're not on corrections committee. Yeah, I'm on corrections. I think there was discussion of that, and I, I think that there was there was a bill that allowed the reporting. Well, here here's a question. Okay. Here's the question: Haven't we had bills where we've extended the period of time for which a woman could actually claim rape in this body? Yeah, but we're not going to retroactively allow an abortion. I didn't say that. I just said the woman claimed, forget the abortion part. Okay. This is the time period which she must come forward to claim rape or incest, right? 
during, if she's pregnant. She still has the right to claim rape anytime, whatever the law says. Right, I understand. This does not affect the criminal law. This affects only if the victim of that rape is pregnant. Right, okay, so we have extended the period of time. Do we know, do you believe that women come forward immediately after they've been raped? Some women never come forward. Thank you. So in doing this by extending the period to say to 12 weeks, for, no, let's go to, let's go to 16, 16 years old. Eight weeks, do they know they're pregnant? Do most people know they're pregnant after eight weeks? 16 should know. A 16-year-old should six, know? 16-year-old should know that things aren't going the way they thought. And they've, you have to, you have to also understand they've been through a traumatic experience, so they should have at that point reported it to someone, someone, someone in their support unit, if it's a parent, if it's a, an older adult, if it's the police, it should have been reported, but medical health could have, have interceded at this point. Many of these people, if it was a violent situation, they've gone to the police, they've been taken to a hospital according to protocol, they would have received probably the morning after pill or, or something to prevent conception. But this is, to, is a catch-all provision in the statute um, that the, the bill as it's offered does not have a time limit. This, this amendment was offered to put time limits in there so it wasn't open-ended. Right, and, so. and I appreciate that. I just don't know why you came up with eight weeks when, don't young girl, my, my daughters have gone, gone through menstrual cycles. One of my daughters, we didn't even know that she was having a cycle and she was 16 years old. She, 16, she was 16 years old at the time. I, I find it hard to believe that you believe a 16 year old should know if they're pregnant after eight weeks. That's what you said. I'm trying to figure out what, where does that come from? Because but these are individuals who've already had a rape or a violent act, which, which they're they alleging. Which they could be scared. They could be scared. And so at this point in time, somebody's, somebody's looking, somebody's involved in the, in, the, in the situation. Yeah, but what if they haven't reported? What if it's incest that's in the home, people are feeding them? They're 16 years old, somebody's feeding them, and you think they're gonna go to the police and tell them that, hey, my uncle who lives with us raped me and within eight weeks? I think that's what you're saying. That's what the, the amendment says, Senator. Okay, thank you. Senator Yoder. Thank you so much, Mr. Chairman. My question is, then who, who do I direct my questions to? Because what we're saying here is we don't know who is directing it. I don't think we heard one piece of testimony at all that used these numbers. It was either zero weeks or do not put, or, or no, or keep it the 20 weeks. But just to arbitrarily come up with eight uh, for 16 and older, and eight weeks for 16 and older, and 12 weeks if you're under 16 years of age, is just 
making up numbers. What we did here is there's no difference in viability, whether it's eight weeks outside the womb, whether it's eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, 16 weeks to 20 weeks. So I would like to see who is making this suggestion? Who do I direct my questions to? Where are these numbers coming from? Because not one person that we've heard from over the course of these two days has suggested these numbers. And then my second question is my concern about the affidavit, that we are asking women, girls, to sign an affidavit that will follow her for the rest of her life. That any judge, I, I, I guess I need to ask, could a judge in any county request this information and could it be made public? And could this victim be further traumatized by having this come out in public? Could these records be made public by a judge? Um, the, if it's a juvenile, then the judge would have access to the records, but juvenile court records are sealed. If it's an adult, the records themselves are um, exempt from the Public Records Act, but if it was introduced at a trial, at an adult trial, uh, with an adult victim, then the tendency is to obscure the names, but I don't know that they would always obscure the names, meaning use initials instead of... Um, this is more trauma to someone who has already been a victim of trauma, whether that's rape or incest. And what we're saying here is this, what I'm saying is this affidavit, even though it says it's confident, uh, confidential, really doesn't mean anything. It could be, uh, it could be re-traumatizing for, for women and girls to have to uh, sign this affidavit, which is what we're saying both in, um, well, in this am amendment. But then my concern is just the complete arbitrariness of the eight weeks, 12 weeks, 16 years of age, 15 years of age. It's, it's not a response to any of the expert testimony that we have received. And I, I, I cannot support this amendment. Is there further discussion? Senator Lannon. Thank you. Again, I don't know if it's a question or just a comment here about these time frames here. Uh, aside from the whole issue of, you know, should we force a woman to have to have the child of the rapist, of a rapist, uh, I agree. These, these time frames here are not only arbitrary, but I, I think that they are uh, ill thought of because in most cases, you take the situation where the woman is over 16, and I, I don't have any statistics on this, but common sense tells me in most cases, the rape victim is over 16. We're giving her only eight weeks to make this crucial, important decision. And I presume <coughs> the author of this, of this amendment, this phantom amendment, whoever it is, is probably trying to limit abortions that will occur 
by virtue of putting this artificially quick timeline, but it also seems to me it may have the opposite effect. If I'm a woman who's been raped and I'm really thinking over this most important, personal, crucial question, do I keep the baby or not? <coughs> oh, you've only given me eight weeks. Hell, I just, heck, I just found out I'm pregnant, number one. Maybe I'm also in a non-rape relationship. I don't know whose baby this is, but the law says use it or lose it. I only have eight weeks. I guess I'll have the abortion. I wonder if the author of this amendment thought about that. I, I think we ought to leave it the way it is in the bill or at the, the most have the viability 20 weeks be the, the time frame. So I think this is an ill thought out amendment for that reason. Thank you. Is there a, we have a motion, is there a second? If I have a motion and a second, please call the roll. Senator Brink. Yes. Senator Taylor. Of course. Just one minute. One minute, yes. I know your one minute rule. My sister was 16 years old when she had her child. I think you guys have all heard the story. It wasn't a wanted child, but it's a tough situation. So when you, whoever put 16 in here, just hit, just tugged at my heart. And I've been trying to sit here and pray and think about what I was gonna say. I just want you to know that these 16-year-old girls have been through a traumatic experience and my sister still suffers today. But you're going to traumatize them again. At 16 years old. Oh, no. Senator Lannon. No. Senator Melton. No. Senator Yoder. No. Senator Messmer. No. Senator Bassler. Senator Cruz. Aye. Senator Holdman. Aye. Senator Glick. Aye. Senator Kreider. Senator Charbonneau. Passes seven to five. Motion passes seven to five. A call. Since Senator Taylor is out for a moment, we'll give him we'll give him a couple minutes. Um, we've got a, amendment number twenty-four. Uh, will you please introduce that one quickly for us? Actually, let's let's start with seventeen, just to say, in moderately numerical order. 
Amendment 17 is the one that specifies that the reporting requirements that apply to abortions would also apply to terminating pregnancy of a fetus that was incapable of sustained life outside the womb. Simply a reporting requirement so that uh, we know kind of what, what that is, how often it's happening, just in, for in, information purposes only. Are there questions uh, regarding the amendment? I see your motion. Is there a second? second? Motion and a second. Please call the roll. Senator Bray. Yes. Yes. Sorry. Senator Taylor. Senator Lannon. No. Senator Melton. No. Senator Yoder. No. Senator Mesmer. Yes. Senator Bassler. Yes. Senator Cruz. Aye. Senator Holdman. Aye. Senator Glick. Aye. Senator Kreider. Yes. Senator Charbonneau. Passes. Eight. Eight to four. Eight to four. Pass, motion passes eight to four. Senator Taylor, I'd call amendment number five, which is pertains to telehealth. Or is that something you or uh, one of the members of your caucus want to speak to? Mr. Chairman, that's my amendment. Please go ahead. So I, I call amendment number five, and this is uh, under current Indiana law, Hoosiers are not allowed to access medication-based abortion care through telehealth services, although the process is safe, efficient, and operating smoothly in 31 states. Women are capable of following their doctor's direction to successfully take abortion pills at home and make it through the process. There's no need to limit that ability. With the ban, this excessive majority is about to put in place it's more important than ever that women are able to access care as conveniently as possible within the confines of the law, and my amendment would repeal that prohibition on telehealth abortion care and access so that women who are victims of rape, incest, or have life-threatening complications have access to medical abortion pills within the time frame that this type of care is recommended to be administered within the first 11 weeks of a pregnancy. This will lift an important barrier hindering women from accessing the care they need as soon as possible. Given that this service would still only be available to the women legally able to access abortion under Indiana's law, I see no reason why there would be any opposition to this measure, and I ask for all my colleagues' support on this amendment. Thank you, Senator Yoder. Uh, Senator Charbonneau. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, in, in the Health Committee over the last three years, we've been looking at the issue of telehealth and been um, very methodically, I think, uh, expanding its use as we've gone through the last couple of years. And to this point in time, we have not seen fit 
as a as a health committee to um, to expand telehealth into the um, the area of abortion uh, medications and I, I would at this point be against this amendment. Is there a further discussion or what's the will of the committee? Chairman, I have a question. Senator, Senator Taylor. For Senator Charbonneau. Uh, I'm not on health committee, so forgive me. Why not? Well, there, there are all kinds of reasons why uh, that, that we can't uh, have chosen not to do um, certain things by by telehealth, and um, you know, to, to this point, that that is one of the ones that we have not not expanded into that area yet. Uh, again, there there are there are many areas. Can you just that, give uh, me two. Pardon me. Can you give me two reasons? I'm not on health committee, so yeah, please. But, but, uh, again, um, we have you know, looked at these things. We've discussed that in, in committee and have chosen not, as a committee, okay. not to do it at this point. Okay. Thank you. Mr. Chairman, can I? I have a question. Senator Glick. I believe the concern, one of the concerns about telehealth would be there would be no way to control that to Indiana doctors. So it would be a, an end run around the entire uh, statutes governing abortions if you're going to let people, you know, physicians outside the state of Indiana, outside of the jurisdiction, making all the medical, um, they're, they're basically, you know, people can consult with, with doctors outside of the, the state. People use medical um, websites all the time, but, but uh, telehealth medicine in, in would um, connote that you were going to have a doctor uh, prescribing the medications or making the recommendations, and it, you're just you're simply taking them outside of the jurisdiction of the state of Indiana if you do it, because they could be wherever making those recommendations. Wouldn't even have to be in the continental United States. Oh, what, whoa, whoa, whoa! Sen Hold on, Senator Yoder. What? Just, just a moment. I do want to clarify, I know this was, we discussed this in 2021, but this was not discussed in committee. I believe this was uh, prohibiting telehealth to cover abortion medicine was banned on a second reading amendment on the floor. So it wasn't discussed. We didn't hear testimony that this is FDA approved, if this is best practice in um, in the care of patients and for health care providers. So I just wanted to make that clarification. Senator Taylor. Thank you. Um, Senator Glick, did I hear you saying that we don't want doctors practicing medicine in Indiana that are not licensed in Indiana? No, why would we? We're, you're well, you're governing. I, I, I was going to say, I agree with you. Yeah. So I mean, you're saying that there's doc. Let me let me make sure I want to understand this. You're saying that there's a doctor in another state that through telemedicine could practice in Indiana. How long before you think that, that it would take for for abortion providers to do everything by by wait telehealth? A wait a minute. You don't say that to diabetic medicine. Uh, medicine. 
can they, can, a, can they do, can I get my diabetes pill through telehealth? I don't know. Yeah, I can, because I do it. And so. But we don't what, have we, a ban on diabetic medicine, do we? No, we don't have a ban on abortion either. We have limitations on abortion and we have We have limitation on medicine all the time. Okay. We have limitations on who can, did you really think, do you really think, I, 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 I'm, I'm struggling with asking you this, that doctors would practice and provide abortion pills in the state of Indiana, a licensed physician in another state. We had doctors coming to Indiana for the specific you know, purpose of conducting abortions and, and uh, the fact that they could do it out of state and suffer no repercussions. I think that's the purpose behind, you know, not having telehealth. You don't know for sure who you're dealing with. You don't even know for sure in some of these cases that that is a physician. You know, I don't, oh goodness. Listen, telemedicine and telehealth have come a long way. And you can't even get into your telehealth discussion unless you have a passcode and everything else. You know, the, the, the alligator in the mud puddle is starting to come very clear now. So you think abortion doctors from another country will dispense appeal over the phone with a person or over a, a computer with them? Is that what you're trying to say? I think it is possible. And it's possible for a doctor to give me medicine from another country too, but and you're I'm not banning them. Okay. What's the will of the committee? Is there a motion? Is there a second? Call the roll. Senator Bray. No. Senator Taylor. Yes. Senator Lannon. Aye. Senator Melton. Yes. Senator Yoder. Aye. Senator Messmer. No. Senator Bassler. Senator Cruz. No. Senator Holdman. Senator Glick. Senator Kreider. No. Senator Charbonneau. No. Fails four to eight. Motion fails by a vote of four to eight. Um, motion number seven, uh, will you introduce that one real quick? Mr. Chair. We, we have number six as well, too. I'm, I'm moving through some of these. Oh, okay. Yeah. Motion number seven is the bill that requires LSA to prepare legislation for next session to amend statutes um, pertaining to children to also apply to a fetus at any stage of development. Uh, Senator Taylor, someone, do you want to speak on that at all? Yes, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Throughout this entire process, the crux of the issue was when viability and when a, a viable 
fetus becomes a person. That's what the entire discussion has been about. That's why we have these eight week and 12 week restrictions. If we're gonna do that, then we should have support for them. If, if for most of you who don't know, if you have, if you are pregnant in 2022 and you do not have your child until 2023, you do not, not get to take advantage of the child tax credit in the state of Indiana because the baby was born in 2023. And for the pro-life support that we see and that we've had discussed today, one of the pro-life things is about when the child is here. Child support. Child support is for the child. How can you not be for providing child support as early as possible in a child's life if you're pro-life? If you're not pro, if, if you're pro-life, how can you be against this? Life insurance policies should be able to name that child as a beneficiary because it's a life. This is the pro-life opportunity to allow us to do something to help those little babies that we all know as a result of this legislation, more children will be born in the state of Indiana and a no vote on this amendment is a no vote for the children that are here in this state. I ask for your support. What's the will of the committee? Second. second. There's a motion and a second. Please call the roll. Senator Bray. No. Senator Taylor. Yes. Senator Lannon. Yes. Senator Melton. Yes. Senator Yoder. Aye. Senator Messmer. No. Senator Bassler. Senator Cruz. No. Senator Holdman. No. Senator Glick. Senator Kreider. No. Senator Charbonneau. No. Fails four to eight. Motion fails by a vote of four to eight. Let's call amendment number 24. Would you describe that briefly for us? Um, so amendment number 24 deals with the affidavit and it does two things. The first is that it specifies that the affidavit will um, be required to be signed by the woman. And second, it specifies that the affidavit will be placed in the woman's uh, permanent health record. Uh, yeah, why don't you? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Thank you. Um, one other thing I want to point out, because amendment number two was adopted, which set up the timeline, the, the two timelines, there are then two affidavits. So if this is adopted, the committee report will need to 
change this so that, it, so that it applies to both of the affidavits that will exist under the new bill rather than the one affidavit that exists in the bill currently. Is there discussion on this amendment? Mr. Chairman. Senator Taylor. Is there an author? Uh, Senator Glick, do you want to discuss it briefly? This is the requirement it was requested by the caucus that the affidavit be signed by the woman and that it be attached to the medical records so that, that it would be um, uh, it would be available to any physician treating that woman in the future. Which affidavit? The affidavit that the, the requirement that she says that she was raped, she has to say that under oath. We're not requiring it under the bills it stands right now. There's no requirement that there be a filing for, you know, stating that there was a criminal act, although we're anticipating in most cases there will be. We do know that there's a substantial numbers of rapes which are go unreported at the choice of the victim, and we're not compelling them to do it in order to seek care. What we're saying is there must be an affidavit, there must be something under oath sta stating that this happened before they can seek an abortion. So if they're under 16, you want them to sign an affidavit? They can sign an affidavit if they understand the truth and, and the difference between truth and falsehood. The law recognizes that. The and law, if they so can't, they can then there's, there's provisions in the law for the court to take that into account. So if a 14-year-old oh, is being a victim of incest, you want them to sign under penalties of perjury an affidavit before they can seek an abortion? They can be, if they're under the treatment of a physician, then, then they have to sign an affidavit or they have to go before a court. There will be, if, at that point, if they're presented to, an, to a uh, physician, there would be a Department of uh, Family and Children um, person present, and that would be taken before the, the court. So let me make sure I understand this right. First of all, they have to know they're pregnant before 12 weeks. We've already got that amendment in, right? Yeah. Then you want them to go through the, then if they're the victim of incest, a 14-year-old, you want them to go through the process of signing an affidavit saying possibly that my parent has actually had sex with me or a family member. I just want to make sure I, I get this right. You want them to not only have to be at 12 weeks to tell somebody, but now you want them, when they tell somebody, to sign an affidavit to make sure that they're not lying. We want to establish that they are, they are speaking the truth and they're saying that this is what occurred. So Attach their medical records and that's where it remains, it's confidential. In, the, in terms of the young person, there's, there is a, a, the possibility that there has to be an adult present or there has to be the authority of the court. What if it's a, the- A consent of the guardian. And if that guardian- it's incest. 
That's why the, the, uh, they're represented by someone from the Department of Family and Children, and they have the, the um, courts involved. I understand that you- Everyone in this process is not lying, Senator Taylor. We well, can't presume that. Well, then why are you having them that. sign an affidavit? Because- Why have them sign an affidavit at 14 years old? They can't sign a contract, Senator, Senator Glick. We're asking them for the truth, and they can establish whether or not they're, say, they're telling the truth. Can they're they not entering into a contract here. Can they're, they sign a contract at 14? No. But they, but can, they have to sign they a can legal swear document under oath in court, and they can testify if they know the difference between truth and falsehood. Okay. I'm going to have uh, Mr. Okay. Hedges so talk real quickly about to that question. Mr. Hedges, would you do that, please? Sure. This just deals with um, basically the competency of children to sign affidavits. Um, both uh, Evidence Rule 601 and IC 344521 say that. Um, all witnesses are presumed competent, and um, children testify under oath in, um, in cases all the time. Yes, Since, I'm familiar hold with on, Hold on, Senator Taylor, let him finish. So this is, this is different from contracts, because um, children under 18 are not bound by contracts, but they can be bound by oaths. So. Can I speak? Yes. So can people who um, who are mentally ill as well. Am I correct? Under that same rule, trial rule? There's a presumption that they are competent. Thank but you. depending on the issue. Thank you. Be All right. I'm familiar with that. Thank you for the clarification. But going back to my point on this 14-year-old signing an affidavit, obviously it's legal for them to sign it, but do you understand the trauma you are putting them through by having them sign a document saying that they were raped by a family member? Senator Glick. Yes. Okay. So just so I understand, and this is supposed to be a pro-life stance that you're taking. Senator Glick. I understand. Is this a pro-life position, you believe? Yes. I mean, you know, you- To you, have a, okay. The, once again, there were allegations are being made. We are not, under the bill as it stands right now, there's no requirement that there be charges of rape or incest filed. However, they're asking for an abortion under this bill. We're saying we want some documentation of what occurred that justifies an abortion. So you just brought up my next question. Why, where's the enforcement part of this? Lying under an oath is, is illegal. No, not to the victim of the rape or, or, or incest, to the person who committed it. If they're lying, and someone could prove that they're lying, then there are, there are repercussions. But we no, don't- Senator, we're Senator Taylor, the, the commission of a rape is in Title 35. But this doesn't lend itself to anybody reporting to an authority that this person has been raped or victim of incest. There's nothing that requires the person to report this. And I'm asking why there is not that consideration in this amendment. 
it's not required under this. If you want to amend the amendment, I guess that's up to you. Well, I think our Again, I'm going to ask Mr. Hedges to address that just quickly, if he would. Sure. There's a criminal provision in 3133-something um, that um, requires everyone to report uh, instances of child abuse or neglect. Not, not oh. just physicians, but everyone. I, just not just the physician, but anyone who sees the affidavit. Right. Everyone is not everyone glad, who knows about child abuse. Glad you covered is a that. Mandatory reporter. Okay, Senator Glick. That adds to my questions. Then, so now you've got the victim who's 14 years old, whose people, the person who either raped her or is is charged with incest, is now going to be picked up and possibly serve three years in prison or presumption of three years. Rape, level five, or level, I believe it's a level five, am I correct? Depending on what happened in the rape, I understand. But now, after she signs the affidavit, now the mandatory reporter, which I thought doctors were, thank you, Mr. Hedges, now they're gonna go pursue this person. Do you have a problem with the report of a rape? Not at all. Or incest? I have no problem at all. Okay. It, that's, I just want to make sure that's what you're intending here. I want to protect the child. I want to protect the woman. I want to protect violence against both of them. Which child? Which child? The unborn child or the child that's having the child? I want to protect everyone in the, in the process. Okay. All right. Thank you. Senator Yoder. I have some questions about this confidentiality and a permanent uh, existence in a woman's health record. There is, it, it's, who has access to medical health record? You want to answer that? I believe it's just that it would be in the health record, which of course is confidential. But any mm -hmm. additional physician that would have access to the young ladies or the woman's health record would be able to see that and then treat them uh, as a result of that. And speaking of treatment, the amount of stigmatization that goes on around issues of rape and incest and to further traumatize a girl and then a woman for the rest of her life. I just remember the last couple of cycles of elections, people had to make their public medical, their medical records public. And can you imagine, this becomes a, a, a permanent part of their health record. And <coughs> I, take our state to be a state that we want people to aspire and fulfill their greatest dreams that they want for their lives. And if this would ever become public or would be made public, it's, I think it's erroneous to assume that this is going to be confidential when we just discussed that at any point in time, a judge can make this record, can request this record, um, and then it becomes, it can become public. 
I, kn I know that we want to protect young people, but this is not the way to do it. Requiring them, what we're saying is, well, if you're not telling the truth, we're coming after you. And in that is the, the truth is that we don't believe victims. Can you imagine having to sign an affidavit that your father impregnated you and you have to sign a document as if it wasn't enough to come forward and say this was happening. And now it's a part of your permanent record that every single person, I mean, just me personally, the amount of times I've had to change healthcare providers and every single step along the way, they have access to this information. In the state of Indiana, we are already at a crisis for access to healthcare providers. And the number of times that individuals have to change healthcare providers and every step along the way, this is being communicated via this permanent health record. We are asking children and women, girls and women, to be re-traumatized multiple times a year with this being a part of their permanent record. These affidavits are, we didn't hear one person over the last two days ask for this change. And I cannot even fathom that someone in your caucus said, I either need to see this in this bill or I can't support it. It's unconscionable. I cannot support this amendment. I think it's more unconscionable to think that a rapist or an incestuous relative can conduct themselves in such a way that they impregnate someone with any, you know, you, if you're not going to have the victim come speak and say, under oath, this happened to me, and this is not being published, if you will, this is placed or attached to a medical record because future treatment of that person is gonna be dependent on knowing what their medical history is. And Fine, but the that's fact not that it's is. going to the court does not mean it's being published, but reporting is essential if we're gonna take those people off the streets who would perpetrate violence against women and children. And Senator. Fine, but that's not what this amendment is. That's not what this amendment is. What's the will of the committee? Move the amendment. There's a motion and a second. Please call the roll. Senator Bray. Yes. Senator Taylor. My vote, Mr. Chairman. Sure, one one, less than one minute. Less than one minute. You know, I really thought that when we started this process, we were going to go down the road to protect these young women and use girls and women. I see what the strategy is here, and I'm not going to support it. And this is amendment is the first step that 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 we're going to take. I think I think I just figured out where we're going with this, but this is dangerous. Police and law enforcement have to get their hands on it in order to prosecute. We've got somebody who has a law enforcement background that knows that. And we're going to sit here and make it seem like this is just going to be in her record. 
Senator Yoder, this is not just going to be in her record. This is going to be in a law enforcement officer's hands in the same town where she lives when they bring the, the, the criminal charges against that person who committed incest or raped her. This is terrible. No. Senator Landon? No. Senator Melton? No. Senator Yoder? No. Senator Messmer? Yes. Senator Bassler? Senator Cruz? Aye. Senator Holdman? Aye. Senator Glick? Aye. Senator Kreider? No. Senator Charbonneau? Aye. Passes seven to five. Motion passes seven to five. That is all the amendments the chair is going to entertain today. We can have this have discussion with regard to the bill. Point of order. Go ahead, Senator Taylor. There are several other amendments that we'd like to discuss. Has the chairman made the unilateral decision that you will not hear these amendments? The chairman has made the decision not to move those. So we are now we discuss the bill and its passage. Is there a discussion on the bill? Senator Taylor. Move the bill as amended. It's, oh, Senator Taylor, you can discuss the bill. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Um, we don't have, this is interesting, most interesting process. We don't have a committee report that shows what the changes are. I don't know what other technical changes might be in there. But here's the interesting part about this piece of legislation. The, two, the, the changes that we made today for those who supported those amendments is we've decided that there's an arbitrary time period that a woman should come forward and say that she's either been the victim of rape or incest. This isn't because we have some kind of scientific idea as to why it's that time period. It's because whoever wrote the bill in the first place left out a time limitation. And it would have allowed, which we do every session, we come, as a matter of fact, last session we redefined rape to open it up. And as Senator Yoder has said in so eloquently, some of these young women don't even know they've been raped. They think, hey, I was drinking and that dude, I went to his apartment with them and you know, yeah, we started messing around and I didn't even know that that was rape. Or this boyfriend of mine that I've had for five years who's telling me, you know, this is what you're going to do, doesn't understand that that coercion could be considered rape. But we're going to limit rape to 12 weeks when it comes to abortion. So I just figured out what the issue is. The issue is not protecting women, it's about abortion. Because everything else that we do with rape gives the woman more time. Everything we've done has given her more access to bring charges. But when it comes to the fact that as a result of that rape, that a child could possibly be created, we change our mind. Oh, that's not pro-life. That's not pro-life. And if you believe it is, 
just go through the process like I've had to go through with family members of mine to talk about the trauma that's created for a 16-year-old who's been raped. And as a result of that rape, there was a child. And then you decide to have it. For those of you who have never experienced it, it's traumatic every day. But you love your child because it's a seed. If my sister would have given up my nephew to adoption, which is what we thought she was going to do, but when he came out, he looked just like me. And she couldn't do it. But you know what? The guy who did it to her is still walking around. And guess what? My nephew actually has a, res has a relationship with him. You have no concept of what this requires. Hours of, of, of love and cherishment. People, extended family members. I love my nephew. I love the fact that there was not a choice. She didn't make that choice. To do. She, she, she kept him. But by God, she didn't even tell us until after he was born. She ain't gonna. She wasn't gonna tell me twelve weeks. She knows I would have. I would have. She knows what I would have done. You gonna tell this sixteen-year-old girl she got to do it within twelve weeks? How dare we? Senator Lennon, <clears throat> I made my comments very brief on this. I was struck by the fact that I don't know how many people we had testify on this bill, probably 50 or so. I think one person liked this bill. Nobody wants this bill. Now, I understand the anti-choice people think it's too lenient. The pro-choice people, and I identify with them. This takes away your rights. But, you know, we were scheduled to have a special session. So we come down here, we're going to rush this bill through because of the pressure that everybody feels after the Supreme Court decision to do something. I'm not surprised this bill is, is fatally flawed. Quite frankly, look at the composition of this State Senate, 16% female, 84% male. Same way on this committee, two members out of the 12, female. Got a bunch of men that don't really even understand the female body and what's going on when it comes to pregnancy and things like that. They're gonna legislate on this. But I just think this is a sad day, I think, for the state of Indiana. It's a sad day for the Indiana Senate because we're going to advance, I assume, this piece of legislation which reverses the rights of the women of the state of Indiana 
for 50 years to control their own body. And instead, we're gonna say the Indiana General Assembly is gonna make this decision for you. And, and even if you're raped, you got eight weeks. And to me, that is just so wrong. The, the exceptions here are poorly thought out. So for that reason, and the reason that I believe it's wrong that we take this right away from the citizens of the state of Indiana. I think it's gonna be harmful. We've heard testimony, it's gonna be harmful to our economy. Uh, I'm gonna vote no. Sir Melvin. Just express a few thoughts real quick, uh, Mr. Chair. Um, we, we've heard a couple of days of testimony. Um, I'm still even processing yesterday. That's uh, so why I've kind of listened and observed to, from the folks that have testified today. Um, a couple of things that stood out to me as I was taking notes and I took a couple of quotes that someone said, I am a full and autonomous woman. That was one quote. Uh, another quote said, and I'm paraphrasing this one. You listen to a lawyer for legal advice, and I urge others to listen to doctors for medical advice and not the government. <clears throat> and that's why it's extremely hard as we sit and have these conversations today because like Senator Lannon mentioned, uh, here we have a panel of legislators that are, to my knowledge, none of us are healthcare professionals or have that experience. So I lean on those professionals to give us advice and I would say, from um, the, the rabbi that represented the, the Jewish community and I asked for their statement and I want to just briefly just share what stood out to me and I'm not going to take long, Mr. Chair. Um, proposals, and this is from the Indianapolis Jewish Community Relations Council and Indiana Board of Rabbis uh, and, and I quote, proposals that ban abortion including in cases of rape, incest or undue risk to the pregnant woman infringe on the separation of religion and state and prohibit members of the Jewish community from freely exercising deeply held religious principles. And that's why I thought my amendment would have been reasonable because I, I, I went back and I flashed back on us not that long ago when we were debating the vaccine. And there were folks in the hallways that were advocating, don't force me to get vaccinated. So I thought this amendment would have been the same logic used during the vaccination conversation uh, that would have exempted individuals uh, because of their religious belief uh, for not taking a vaccine. And, and in closing, I wanna thank one of my constituents that sent me a letter, uh, Mr. Roki, which is a chaplain at one of our hospitals uh, that expressed her concern. And I will share the, that testimony with you all. Uh, so today it is extremely disappointing that we're, looks like we're gonna be moving forward. Um, but I, I just urge us as we continue to move forward, uh, let's not make this a political issue. 
Let's truly listen to the people, to the Hoosiers. Let's not project our just our narrow or personal perspective on this because we want to impact lives across the entire board. It's not just the folks that we see on a day-to-day -day basis. This is the millions of Hoosiers that live in this state. Senator Glick and then Senator Yoder. For the purposes of this bill and this body, this is a bill, as we've seen, that no one can agree on all the terms of. It's a vehicle bill. It has some strong points. It has some weak points. There have been innumerable witnesses, and almost nobody agrees that it's a perfect bill. Some, such as the Right to Life National Group, say there's nothing about it that it's any good whatsoever. However, this is the first step in a long process that includes several areas and times that's going to come before this body for second reading and hopefully third reading. Second reading would allow anyone in the chamber to offer amendments that they will have to get up and defend. And if there were amendments that weren't heard today, they can be brought to second reading if it passes out of committee. And I think there will be multiple amendments. Am I happy with the bill? Not exactly, nor was I happy when it was drafted. This is a very difficult process, but it's a very difficult issue. And it involves some of the most intimate things that could possibly be discussed. I'm asking for support from this committee to bring it to the floor so that we can discuss it in detail. And if it's the will of the body to, to kill the bill on the floor, then so be it. But it's a start. We have a bill in place in Indiana right now. It is not broad enough for some people in this chamber. And it's too broad for many of the people, both in this chamber and out in that hallway. But it's a process. And even if this bill gets through the Senate of Indiana, it still has to go across the rotunda and it will be examined and re-examined and dissected and testimony will be taken again. I ask the support of the committee for the passage of this bill. Thank you, Senator Glick. Senator Yoder. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I want to just speak on the issue of time. And so many Hoosiers took time off of work, away from their own families, to come down over the last two days to protest, to testify. And we did not take the time to hear from all of them. But we had the time. Uh, we were called into session July 6th, and we could have made time to hear from each of them. Now, you could say, well, how much different would all of the testimonies have been? And I would say to each and every one of those individuals, their story is important, which is why we take testimony, so that we can hear from our constituents, hear from Hoosiers. And to not be able to do that is, it's just undermining democracy and looks poorly on the care I know that we bring to our jobs every single day. I mean, we each had a packet 
of testimony on our, uh, on our desks today. I know you've received tons, but even today, people who didn't get a chance to testify yesterday and today, I've been receiving texts, phone calls, and emails from, and to them, I am very sorry, because we could have made the time. And then the time that, the arbitrariness of all of the, this many days, this many weeks, and I, I personally uh, feel that it's interesting because you could look at this another way and say, if, if, this, if you think there needs to be this time limit of either eight weeks or 12 weeks, give people time to process what they're about to do. We've had so many women have the courage to come up and share their stories. I will share mine. I got pregnant and did not know what to do. I needed time to process this information. I was not partnered, I was not, I mean, I was not married. I was humiliated, embarrassed, I was ashamed. I should know better. Why weren't you taking your birth control appropriately? Why were you having sex outside of marriage? The shame went on and on and on that I felt. What I needed was time and the ability to make the decision that was right for me. And I had multiple conversations. And I haven't shared this because people who choose differently, their decision should be just as respected. I chose to have my child. I chose to carry out that pregnancy. But I needed that time. And we are restricting that time. for people to process, and in the case of rape and incest, there's no amount of time to be able to process that, but restricting it is the absolute wrong direction, and then to make them sign an affidavit is just bad policy. There are many things that stand out as problematic in this bill. I am disturbed that we did not hear the only, the only person who came out in support of this bill in the last two days was actually someone who was being sarcastic. They didn't support it. They were trying to be funny, and it wasn't funny. We had the time, but what we don't have is trust in women. We don't have the ability to respect women to do the right thing that's right for them. We don't understand, nor do we respect, an, a, a woman's right to personal autonomy, to have these difficult conversations, and then to make the right decision. For that reason, I cannot support this bill. And I ask my colleagues to do the same. Thank you, Senator Yoder. Is there further discussion? What's the will of the committee? Move the bill as amended. 
Please call the roll. Senator Bray. Yes. Senator Taylor. Can I get my one minute? One minute. Thank you. Senator Bray, Chairman Bray, my colleagues from the other side of the aisle, I don't envy your position. As a matter of fact, I, I, I kind of watched today and I looked at, like, I don't know, I seem to be a good reader of body language in my old age. And most of you are not comfortable with what we just did. But you're going to do it because it's part of the process. As a matter of fact, Senator Glick said it's a vehicle bill. Well, Senator Glick, I wish that this was a vehicle bill. This is about a constitutional right that women have had for 50 years that you had when you could have children that most of the women in this body had when they were at childbearing age. And guess what? The women who fought before you so you could be in this position are probably turning over in their graves because they never had that right. And you're going to take it away. And I can tell you this, as somebody who I know I had to fight and claw to be sitting where I'm sitting, I would never do that to my ancestors. The last thing that I wanted to have happen was for this bill to come out of this committee and go to the floor of the Senate. And it should be the last thing that you want, because now you've got a, about 38 other members that get to chime in. You think that's going to help this bill? You haven't even gotten over to the other side. The best thing for this bill to do is, is to be gone. You're treading on very sensitive waters, and I hope you don't drown. I vote no. Senator Lannon. Uh, explain my vote. Um, I believe the Supreme Court was wrong. I believe that this bill is wrong. I don't believe in taking away the rights of people. And that's exactly what this bill does. It makes our state look bad, and I vote no. Senator Melton. Explain my vote, Mr. Chair. Of course. One minute. I want to thank all those that came out to testify over the last couple of days. I've, I've truly learned a lot. Uh, about this entire process, uh, about uh, the health healthcare of women, um, I learned that there are so many reasons why a woman a woman may need to have an abortion, and it has taught me, and I'm continuing and want to learn more. Um, you know, I say this as as a father, as a husband. You know, I truly trust the women in this state to make the, their own decisions about their healthcare. And that's why I vote no on this bill. Senator Yoder. Explain my vote. Of course, one minute. This bill is not about life. This is about control. It's also putting into jeopardy the separation of church and state. Listening to the last two days of testimony, 
I mean, it's, it's life-changing. And I will forever be thinking about these women's stories, uh, these men's stories. But at the end of the day, having access to abortion care as one of the options is critical when accessing reproductive health care. And moving in this direction and banning abortions in Indiana is what we know is not what Hoosiers want. Over 80% of Hoosiers have told us this. And for that, I will be voting no. Senator Messmer. Explain my vote. Yes, you have one minute, Senator Messmer. Uh, this is one of the most complex issues any of us will ever try to tackle in our lifetime. And, the, and this just demonstrates the near impossibility of threading the perfect needle in a compressed a short a special session uh, schedule. Uh, of the 60 people that testified, uh, none, none were in support of the bill. One was sarcastically. And I have been yet to be contacted. Every pro-life organization has asked me to, to vote no on this bill. And with that, I vote no. Senator Bassler. Of course, Senator Bassler, you have one minute. Um, there are many reasons not to support this bill on many different levels. Um, and this might be the first time in my eight years in this building that I vote yes in, in hopes of simply seeing a better version of it when it comes to the floor. Um, so my hope is, is that um, this group or some group of us will be able to come up with some amendments uh, for second reading uh, that make this a better bill. Um, um, because if we don't, uh, I won't be voting uh, on the floor like I'm going to be voting today. But uh, today, Mr. Chairman, I vote, uh, vote yes. Senator Cruz. Aye. Senator Holdman. Senator Glick. Aye. Senator Kreider. Aye. Senator Charbonneau. Explain my vote. Of course, Senator Charbonneau, one minute. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I have sat here over the last two days getting uh, physically sick to my stomach about the discussion that I've, I've heard. Um, and and I, I, I don't know where the end point is. Because after two days of testimony, no one, no one has been able to or willing to shift from two very extreme positions. And that leaves us with the job of trying to, to figure out what to do with an extremely emotional, extremely volatile, um, and you can just go down the list. It's very divisive in every aspect. I'm a very devout Catholic and go to church every Sunday, so I mean it. But I struggle with some of the testimony that we've heard over the last two days. And how can that be right? And how can 
religious freedom only apply to certain religions. I struggle with that. This is a process, we've all talked about the process. We have what I think every, everybody believes is a bad bill. And I'm gonna vote yes today and I guess my wish is that we make a bad bill less bad. I vote yes. Bill passes seven to five. Bill passes seven to five. I want to thank everybody, certainly the public, for being here and their engagement in this in a very passionate but ruly and uh, uh, an effective way. I want to thank members of the committee as well. Thank you. Uh, chair would entertain a motion to adjourn. Is there a second? All in favor say aye. Aye. The Rules Committee is now adjourned. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.